0: Today's guest on the show is Zach Cirillo. Zach is the co-founder of Alternate Side, a full-service music company that represents a diverse roster of platinum and gold talent, whose combined catalog has over 5 billion streams. Zach got going in the music game with a blog called Property of Zach that he started at age 16 that he eventually sold to Spin Media when he was only 18. Some of the topics on today's show are how he got in the music business, how he creates brands and businesses for his artists, the raging epidemic of mental health in the music industry, and how he got going in the donut game. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Hey, Zach, thanks for coming on today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. So take me back in time. Obviously, you've been in the music business for a long time, but... Where did that passion for music come from? You know, I was uh, a bit of a loner (laughs) in middle school and, you know, just growing up,
1: I, I didn't feel connected to a lot of my classmates or colleagues. And my best friend, who is a couple of years older than me, showed me kind of punk rock music, probably a little earlier than I should have been listening to that music. And it was the first type of music that I really felt a connection to kind of every part of my body and soul. Became really obsessed with it. I I had a very like obsessive personality as a kid, whether that was like on my favorite TV show or book or movie or whatever. And once I kind of found punk music, you know, 9, 10, 11 years old, that became my sole focus in life, Mm -hmm. essentially. And I didn't know what I wanted to do. You know, I didn't have any aspirations like to grow up and be president or a doctor or whatever. and, and, And including, I didn't have any... Aspirations to be in music, but I think just my true obsession with kind of punk and just music in general stumbled me into a,
0: a path that eventually put me to here. It's interesting. It, it seems like in some of these businesses, like sports and music and entertainment, it, it seems to be that singular focus early on. I know we had a Wes Gear a guitarist from Coron recently, and he talked about just there was no other option, kind of like the burn the ships approach or if people think about an entrepreneurship. Yeah, it became that for me. And it still is that way for me. I,
1: I kind of, you know, I, I, I think I have some transferable talents, you know, if, if, uh, if music went away. But I don't really fully believe that. <laughs> and I don't, I don't want to find out. And, and I agree, it's kind of like sports where, you know, if you're a basketball player, you're playing AAU basketball every single day
0: from when you're 12. And, you know, there's no sleep until you retire. So what was that moment when you realized that you could actually make a career out of music? How did you get started from a business perspective?
1: The moment that I realized I could make it came much later than when I started. (laughs) I started a blog in uh, high school that became quite popular. It had, you know, like a million page views a month was like my entire life. I, I, you know, I got so obsessed with that and didn't care at all about high school or college. Just was, it was all about making that work. And I just assumed that my blog would be able to like pay for my life someday. I'd never really thought about it. And I remember sitting on a bench with my now wife in college and she asked me, so how are you going to make money? Like, what are you going to do after college? (laughs) It dawned on me in that moment. I had like a full meltdown because I realized, oh, I hadn't, I've never thought about that before. And at the same time, I had just started managing a band that was actually doing pretty well and making some income. I was twenty, or I don't know if I was even twenty-one yet. I was like, I decided essentially, oh, I have to go all in on management if I want to make a living and to not live at my parents' house after I graduated college. So really from whenever that was March of you know, March when I was twenty uh on that is when i flipped that switch and said okay i i, th- I see a path here and i'm gonna go chase down this path because i don't want to go move back in with my parents and i want to you know make something of
0: myself rewind the tape a little bit i'd love just to hear tell me about this blog i think it was called what property of zach is that right
1: yes yeah, it, it was called property of zach and I, I started it as an i didn't start on purpose as I mentioned, I fell really in love with punk music, particularly with Blink-182, and I spent a lot of my time in middle school on a Blink-182 forum, like a bulletin board. And this would have been in the mid-2000s, and eventually that forum shut down, and I didn't have anywhere to talk about the music I loved anymore. Uh, and this was just as Tumblr blog service was starting, like the early, early days Tumblr it was a right time, right place thing. I started this blog without any intention of it becoming a thing. And I became probably the most followed music blog on Tumblr, right? Hundreds of thousands of followers. And once it started, I started interviewing bands and I realized, oh, I like this. I can do this. I just went all in on it. I really, you know, I started building content plans and adding sections to the site and hiring contributors and all that sort of stuff. When I was just 16, I was doing it in class, out of class. I was. You know, I stopped doing things like playing soccer and I just did all, all blog all the time. I started multiple days a week. I, I grew up in Manhattan, which was very ideal for being a music place. So multiple days a week, I'd be going to shows, interviewing bands, filming bands, playing acoustic sessions on a flip camera, if you remember those. It, it just totally became my life for, for five full years. And, you know, it was a big success. I actually sold it. To a company called Spid Media when I was 18, and they owned publications like Stereo Gum, Spin, Brooklyn Vegan, Vibe, eventually Billboard, and kept running it
0: until I later closed it down when I decided I, I really needed to be all in on on management work. Yeah, super interesting. So, how does an 18 year old go about navigating an, an acquisition or a divestiture, or selling an asset to a much larger company? Yeah, it was fraught because I was very kind of
1: also punk rock about it. You know, I really wanted to retain as many as my rights as possible. I wanted to get as much money as possible. And I wanted to stay on to keep doing it. I think a lot of my interest in selling it was saying I sold something at age eighteen, honestly. <laughs> and the company it ended up being not a great situation. The company was really poorly run. Obviously the media landscape was a nightmare is even more of a nightmare. Yesterday, Vice announced they were closing, right? So it was very stressful. It took about six months. It was very prolonged. And we used my family's lawyer, which probably wasn't the best idea. He's a really grumpy guy. <laughs> but I remember it being very stressful. But ultimately, you know, it happened. And I made a decent amount of money for an 18-year-old, you know, freshman at college.
0: Yeah, I think about my kids trying to get into college these days is so competitive and just yeah, starting a business would be a nice pathway in, but sounds like that's how I got into college, essentially. My blog,
1: I, I went to like a music industry. I went to Drexel in Philadelphia, a music industry program, and the blog definitely got me into
0: college. So fast forward a little bit. so, so I think you said at twenty one you you started to manage your first band. Like how did that come to fruition? How do you go from a a blogger and a techie, but you're starting to get in the music business? Like, how does that next step happen?
1: Yeah, it really became... Bit, everything I do now really came from the blog. I became friends with a lot of these artists and then their managers, their publishers, their record labels, because they're just always there. <laughs> so eventually, a booking agent who booked one of the bands I covered on the blog asked me, hey, you should help try to get this band signed to a label because you know all these labels. And so I did because I liked their music a lot. And then once that happened, Booking agent basically said, Well, why don't you just be their manager? And before that moment, I had never once considered doing anything in my life that wasn't the blog. <laughs> but I said, Sure, why not? Even though I had no idea what I was doing, I had no business doing it. And, you know, I got really lucky that the, quickly I started managing another band and they really started to take off. Their first tour did amazing business, was uh, sold out, made
0: money. And it was kind of off to the races and never really looked back. And that was 10 years ago this year. So I've had a few musicians on, but I would love just to, do you mind just breaking it down for my listeners in terms of, you talk about a manager, publicist, labels, booking agents, just all the different aspects of music. If you mind just giving like a little bit of a, a primer, if you will, about the music business?
1: You know, the manager is really kind of like the central nervous system of an artist, the manager fully represents the artist and then manages like the artist, the booking agent who books tours or shows, the record label if there is one, like when we're gonna release music, negotiating that deal to sign to the label in the first place, making sure the label's doing their job properly. Then you have a publicist who is sending press releases and trying to get you on late night television. And then there's lots of other aspects probably not worth going into, like publishers and Really, like in the weeds, things so you uh, larger artists tend to also have business managers that you know are making sure their taxes and accounting are getting done, payroll, health insurance, stuff like that. It's the manager's job to communicate with all those different tentacles and make sure they're all working
0: hopefully in unison on the behalf uh, of your artist. So, you're 21, you got two bands signed, one that's starting to do well, getting some success. Like, how do you go about? taking that next step and starting to build a business around that? Sure. So I was
1: fortunate to already be working under someone. Uh, My partner, my business now, uh, her name's Avange. I I really quickly realized that I had no idea what I was doing and my band was doing well, so I didn't want to get poached. Uh, So I started working for Avange, who's been my partner now for 10 years, um, and she taught me a lot of the ropes and protected me from really my own failings. I was also young enough where I was able to make a lot of mistakes, and a lot of them didn't stick to me if I made those same mistakes as a 30-year-old, because I was just a kid. And then people were very uh, considerate to me, thankfully, uh, when I was learning, because it, it isn't always that way. But I've always been pretty business-minded. My mom has had her own independent branding and design company for over 35 years, and I grew up in that you know, like literally every day growing up, right? My mom was going to work. She was getting big accounts. She was skipping dinner because she had to go take a meeting, right? And I think a lot of that uh, was kind of distilled in me over the course of growing up in the home I grew up in. And a lot of the music industry is very loose and not structured. And I think my kind of natural predisposition to having structure and organization was a real cheat code compared to a lot of other people that I work with. That it's more by the seat of your pants. And yeah, you know, I, I, for me, the biggest thing was making sure my artist businesses were really firm and successful, and proper payroll, proper taxes, making sure they could afford rent and. I've always found that the more my
0: artists' businesses are together, naturally, the more together my life will be. So, how do you do that? So, you, you take an artist, they're unsigned, they have got zero revenue, you sign them. Like, what, what does that arc look like in terms of making them a success? Every artist is different. It's also so different now to what it was 10 years ago. It couldn't
1: be more different. 10 years ago, especially when we were working with alternative and punk bands, you truly only made money if you toured. Spotify didn't exist when I started managing 10 years ago, right? So the entire music industry couldn't be more different. And thankfully, it's a lot better now, in my opinion. When we're starting with a new artist now, they're typically somewhat known. Now that might not be. And that's really because of Spotify, TikTok, Instagram, right? We, We want to start working with an artist that has some foundation of audience. It's really important to us. We don't want pop hits where you don't care about the artist at all, right? And you only care about the song. We want fans that care about artists and all of the artists' music and whole personality. We don't want just, oh, this song's really big and it's made a lot of money, but it's kind of vapid and the audience doesn't relate to the artist. We talk a lot about foundation when we're building an artist. So... We're typically finding unsigned artists that have a little buzz going on. And then it's our job to guide that plane upward. Right. So that can be putting them in with the right producers and songwriters, making sure that they have their personal business taken care of, meaning they, they don't they can hopefully get them to a place where they can quit their job at TJ Maxx or at Starbucks and they have enough money to pay rent or we'll go sign a record deal for them so they can make enough money to, you know, produce an album properly. Every artist is so different. You know, we don't have one artist where the path was the same. But to us, it's always about step by step. How can we build foundation and and to gain the most leverage possible so that when we do any de- type of deal, if we do any type of deals, we're only saying yes to what we want to say yes to.
0: And what are the the economics of those deals look like? You know, I think about as a, a user of Spotify having purchased albums in the past and, and buying songs back in the day on iTunes, which wasn't really that long ago. And uh, I know Wes here talked about just like huge number of pennies that come and Ultimately, that makes a viable business versus the past where it seemed like it was based on record sales and touring. But like, what do the economics look like? I think that's something I don't think many people realize what it looks like. Yeah, I
1: don't think enough people know. But I, I think a lot of people also usually see artists complaining about Spotify. I think you often see like, ooh, like big artist X that you think is filthy rich says Spotify pays them no money. And those people are lying to you. <laughs> the truth is when you see artists that you think are popular and like are popular complaining about not making money on Spotify, they're leaving out the truth to get your empathy. You can sign a really bad deal as an artist with your label. And that has nothing to do how, with how much Spotify actually pays you for your music or not. Traditionally, artists have signed deals with major labels where they're only making 15 or 20% max of the income of their songs, right? So Spotify is paying the rights holder. And in that case, the rights holder is the label because you signed away your rights to the label. So yeah, making 20% of a bunch of pennies or less than that is not great, right? But the amount of money might actually be excellent that's going to the label. You just so happen to give away all that money when you sign your deal. And re- that's not Spotify's problem. It's not Apple Music's problem. That's your lawyer and your manager and your personal self's problem for signing on the line. But you know, we manage artists or we work with artists that make five and six figures a month every month from Spotify. And that's a story you don't hear about as much because people want drama.
0: <laughs> people want to complain. So how do you go about educating and working with artists who I can imagine just you're working at a store, you're working at a TJ Maxx to do something you really care about, which is music. And, and I can imagine there's a, a strong motivation just to jump and take that first deal, which is probably suboptimal. Like, How do you actually work with artists to, to have patience and, and play the long game?
1: We would rather fund our artists for a little bit, not take any of their rights, but pay for some more music to get made to keep building up that foundation, right? And to keep gaining leverage than taking the first check that walks in the door. It's a core belief for us as a management company that every artist we work with should own part of their catalog, if not all of it, right? That might be you own one EP, five albums or everything. We don't manage any artists that don't own part of the catalog because it is that significant of the belief for us. And as a company, our artists make millions of dollars a year for the catalog we didn't sell to labels. And then it's our job to go make that catalog as profitable as possible. So we've cut the best deals possible with Spotify and Apple. We make vinyl and put it into retail stores. Amazon, Urban Outfitters, your local indie retail store. It's great to be able to own your masters, but you have to like... You have to really exploit them to make them work for you, too. You can't just put them on the side and say, great, I didn't sell this. It's like, cool, I didn't sell this, and now we have to make it work. Some artists, you know, we have to take that deal that we don't want to take because the artist otherwise is never going to be able to stop working at that job or go on tour. But thankfully, we've really been able to set up a good system where we try not to do that. But sometimes you don't have an option, right? Every artist, every human is different. You don't know a person's background, if they have college debt, if they have to the help their family at home, right? And that's the weird thing about the music industry. Like I was saying, there's no um, set path. Everything is very different with every manager, every artist,
0: every label, every publisher. I mean, it sounds like similar parallels to technology where it's... Taking the venture capital money, yeah, you don't want it, but maybe you need it for, for personal reasons or obviously to, to grow and scale, right? It's exactly that. The only difference
1: is that, you know, I know when you take VC money, the is you know, help you where they can, right? That might be they try to help you get good hires or they connect you to a SaaS company to use their services because you've got a better deal there. The difference with the record label is, yes, they are, the record label is like a bank, but you have to rely on the label for all of their people to work on you. And you don't really get a choice in that. And hopefully you're working with good people. But, you know, as we know, especially this year, we're just across every sector. There's been so many labels. You might have one team for the last three years. And then, oh, the economy got worse. And you have all new people. And
0: you're stuck to those labels forever. uh, Which, you know, can be an unfortunate part of that. It sounds overwhelming and so many things that could be out of your control or you make the the wrong deal with the wrong entity and it can really guide your career in one direction or the other. But how do you work with artists to to be more proactive in, in guiding their careers? Yeah, we try to not be overly reliant on
1: any one partner, right? Like if we get our way with an artist's, you know, shape of their career, all of our partners need us more than we need them. And that's not to say we want to be bad partner, right? But we don't want to overly rely our business on anyone that isn't ourselves or the artist because you can't rely on everyone blindly, right? Especially if there's turnover at companies. The person that was your champion for three years is gone now, right? In a layoff wave. So... To us, it's really about ownership. It's owning that catalog. It's really owning your audience, whether that's news, you know, newsletter, news list, merchandise, Patreon, you know, private membership programs, fan clubs, like what everything we do really wants to put our audience in our control, not in the labels, not in someone else's control. And that way, if something does go wrong with the label or the booking agent, we have something to fall back on. In a lot of ways, the music industry is like having hedges against different parts of your business. An artist's business is recorded music, written music, touring, merchandise, you know, sync, etc. So there's all these different business opportunities within the music industry. Some artists only succeed at one of those things, like touring. Some artists succeed at touring and streaming and merch. The more of those figures we can put up that an artist is doing well in, the more career stability we have to ride the wave when something goes wrong
0: and stuff always goes wrong how do you go about building an artist you talked about you work with artists that people quote unquote care about it's not just this song like how do you go about creating a brand creating a business that's making money off you said recorded music produced music on merchandise touring you mentioned patreon even as another one-off like how do you go about building a, a business a brand out of each artist the truth is, it really has to start and end with the artist. There's a lot we can do
1: and that we do do or that I do, but it has to start with artists. Some artists, the music is just enough. It's so meaningful and mysterious or cutting edge that you get a legion of fans and they never leave. But that's really the exception to the rule, especially in, these, in like modern times. You know, So much of it is really social media and how you choose to engage your audience a lot of artists just post selfies of themselves every day and they do very well that way. Right. But I find that you're not super engaged, right. In terms of the person outside of if they're pretty or something. (laughs) So to us, you know, we're mostly working with artists where the lyrical matter can be pretty deep. Uh, We work with a lot of queer trans diverse artists and those audiences naturally are looking for maybe something else that isn't just a standard pop song that is fun but not emotional. The more artists can, can really tap into the emotion of our audience, the more that audience wants to grow with us. So we try really hard for our younger artists to start playing shows right away because One thing to just see someone on TikTok or listen to their music, but if you're going to go spend $20, 30 on a ticket and take an Uber or get your parents to pay to drive you to a show, you're then creating a physical real-life bond too That's so much of what we do is touring, not because it's necessarily super profitable just there, but it can often be a really good loss leader to keep those people engaged for years to come because they see you live, they interact with you, maybe they take a selfie, with you at the merch table.
0: And it's, it becomes such more of a one-to-one experience that way. How do you think about and work with artists just from a life cycle of staying viable, staying relevant? Because, you know, you talk about your involvement building foundations and building really beyond even just a, a brand, but actually creating an, an ongoing company. But, you know, I think about, you know, obviously athletes eventually retire, successful ones go on and have great media careers and so forth. But how do you work with, with artists to to think about them from the very beginning to ultimately where they want to go. It's tough. There's no one answer. A lot of artists also um, don't
1: think about this stuff <laughs> themselves, right? And so a lot of our job is to kind of make their life plan and career path, which is awesome sometimes and difficult others. Some artists really don't care about anything but making the music and in some ways that is lovely and in other ways that is really awful <laughs> because I always tell the artists of the bands I work with that uh, no one can care more about your music than you do. And if I care more about your music than you do, something has gone wrong. So our goals are always to, hey, like let's get more people to listen on, on the most fundamental level. Let's get more people to listen to your new music than the last time. Let's make sure that there's more tickets sold than the last time, but a large part of our job is also making sure our artists are living correctly at home. You know, have good therapists, have you know, healthcare, etc., payroll, so they're not in a frenetic state of being because that often that really badly affects the music, the work. There, you know, there's such large mental illness issues and stability issues in the music industry, just like in a lot of other art spaces, but also in the food industry, because there isn't, it's not really a regulated field or a structured field, like I was saying earlier. So while a lot, while hopefully the majority of our job is on the actual career or business of the artists, a lot of it is
0: also, you know, sometimes we're glorified babysitters. You talked about artists having a therapist, and I know you've spoken before in terms of mental health in the music industry and i can only imagine just for any public figure you talk about engaging on social media you're putting things out out there i know for me just you know getting one-star reviews about the book i wrote is hard but obviously these artists are that much more public figures whether they're on stage or on instagram or tiktok or whatnot because what's what are the issues in terms of mental health in the music industry and how do you go about addressing that
1: they're severe you know they're really severe we've you know, over the course of doing this over 10 years, like we've had to become really good, not that we are therapists by any means, right? But we've had to become really good at, at dealing with mental health issues. We've had artists that like, you know, have multiple personality issues or, you know, extreme dysphoria from gender needs or, or suicidal, you know, or drug problems, you know, every aspect of this. A lot of people fall into music because it's the only thing that can help them cope, right? So that can often be paired with really other bad tendencies. And touring, which is really crucial to building a career, is so difficult mentally and physically. You're away from home. You're in a different place, every city, scraping by money and food. Like touring can also be such a bad trigger to really worsen health problems. So, you know, what we could do and, and what we do do is try to provide the best resources, whether that's for therapy, whether that's making sure you're living with the right people. Like a lot of our job, sometimes is, you know, in some sense, being almost a family member to artists, whether that is what we want to do or what we should be doing. It's a necessity because if our artists aren't right at home, they're not going to be right at the office. It's really challenging. You know, it's it's a shame. I think it's more of an America, you know, country issue, but just it's a shame how hard, how few resources there are really for those with mental needs and how expensive it is to, you know, artists. I don't think a lot of people know like the true economics of touring, but on a tour that plays in a thousand capacity room, like if you're in a city that has a house of blues or a film bar or something like that, The opening act on tour is probably getting only $200 to $400 a night to play that show. And they might have four people and a van and a driver or tour manager. And so you're asking, wow, how do they, you know, my, my dad always used to ask me, so this band's making $200 a night, but there's six of them and there's gas and hotels. How do they make any money? The answer is, well, unless they sell a lot of merch, they are you know, bleeding money and her even you know, her eating, you know, rounded or hummus every day for thirty days straight, that takes such a toll on you. It's really
0: hard. So our job is to just try to smooth as many edges as we can, frankly. Yeah, it's fantastic. You take a, a holistic approach and not just treating them as as a dollar sign or even as a, a business or a brand baroid. I mean, we're all humans. The way we show up in the office is is impacted by things outside of the office exactly and, and our job you know it's like some days are slow and then some
1: days 2 a.m i get a call and a band has hit a deer overnight in their van right so
0: it's really you're always with your artists in some ways especially when you least expect it so a word that I, I talk about a lot is greatness and to me greatness is the intersection of purpose and success i just would be curious to you how do you define greatness in your life and your career so my management company with my partner, Ivan we
1: employ seven people, so it's nine of us. It's really important to me to be a good boss, to you know direct people that work under me. So Whitney and Allie, I, I spend a lot of time thinking about culture and how can the people we employ succeed. I've always been a person to kind of listen to podcasts like the one we're on right now, right? Since I was in high school, I've always been really interested in building companies and learning from where other people make mistakes. And of course, where I make mistakes, I'm far from perfect. So to me, like greatness or or success is making sure I can provide enough for my wife and I to like live a nice life that we want to live, to make sure my employees are living the life they want to live, that they feel appreciated, taken care of, that they have clear paths forward in their jobs. And, you know, really making sure yes, that my artist's music is succeeding, but it is far more important to me that my artist can sleep soundly at night and are taken care of. So I think over time, I don't think this would have been my goal at 20, but you know, to me, success right now is making sure that everyone I work with feels healthy and content overall. There's always obviously going to be things that are annoying, or maybe you're not growing quick enough or fast enough. And and some of that stuff is in our control and some isn't. But uh To me, greatness is really making sure the people that I affect are
0: being affected in a beneficial way by me and not in a negative way, if that makes sense. So one last random question for you. How did you get involved in the donut business? Oh, yeah, that was a joke. Um, (laughs) Like, It started as a joke.
1: (laughs) Um, So I own a donut shop in Philadelphia called Hello Donuts. It's in the Fishtown neighborhood. Physically, we've had our storefront for just about four years. Uh, It's been a couple of years longer than that. We were doing a pop-up and a wholesale business. Uh, I do it with a couple of other people in the music industry that I've known for a long time. And we really wanted to have a place in Philly that artists on tour wanted to come to. We said to ourselves, how hard could it be? Turns out it could be pretty hard. But it's been really gratifying to have... A small business that is in a physical community, right? So much of what I do for my artists is online, is kind of in the ether, is social media. Where you know we've seen people go from single to getting married to having kids come through our store every week, and it's been a really gratifying experience to be a part of a community
0: that I live in and to hopefully give back to it. Well, Zach, where can people go to find out more about your management company? Maybe check out some of your artists? Yeah, I uh, would love anyone to give a list to our artists. Uh, our management company is called Alternate
1: Side, um, So AlternateSide.co, you can find all the artists we work with, and there's links there to uh, the stream all of them. And then if you want to find out any more about me,
0: you can go to and That's everything about me is right there. Fantastic. Well, hey, Zach, I know you got a lot going on. Appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on today. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it.